0: progress in Christ and it was to be based on the gospel and foundationally that was important in this time because there was so much false teaching that was taking place on the island of Crete that uh, Paul's motive for writing the letter was to make sure that there was clarity and so he he features this faith this sound faith and a sound faith is a growing faith and a growing faith leads to growth in God's truth and godliness. And in that final verse, verse 3, we see Paul foster the hope of eternal life. The life-giving message of the Gospel was committed to Paul as a divine trust by God to encourage hearts with hope. And so, ultimately, the motive of this letter emphasizes that God's elect are going to come to faith, that they're going to be nurtured and grown in their faith, as they're discipled, and they're the hope of eternal life and um, all this will yield godly living, and God's glory will be promoted. And so we've had a chance to look at the ministry messenger. We've seen the ministry motive, and now what will come next? Well, to find out, we've got to go to the book of Titus and verse 4 to continue our study. Uh, Titus together. Here it is, starting in verse 4. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. If any man is above reproach, the husband of one wife having children who believe, not accused of dissipation or rebellion... For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward, not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain, but hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled, holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching so that he will be able to both exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. And as your bulletin indicates this morning, the title of the message is The Priority of Church Leadership. And we're going to spend this Sunday and actually the next couple of Sundays unpacking God's priority for spiritual leadership in the church. And on a scale of 1 to 10, biblical spiritual leadership in the church is an 11 plus, right? It is... Very important, and it should come as no surprise that this is the first subject to be addressed as it relates to the spiritual health and stability of the local church. And what I find ironic is even the world recognizes the fact that strong leadership is important. It used to be that um, we didn't have access to so many things online, but you would venture into a bookstore, right? Barnes & Noble's, Borders, Borders. Um, one of them I don't think is any, in business any longer. But either way, you, you go into the bookstore, and if you were to venture over into the leadership section, you would be overwhelmed by the number of books, the number of titles that you would see. Because the world recognizes the, the reality of leadership. And you would run into titles like Leadership 101, What Every Leader Needs to Know, The 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership, How about this title? Leadership and self-deception. Getting out of the box. Leaders. Why some teams pull together and others don't. Developing the leader within you. How successful people think. Change your thinking. Change your life. How to improve your leadership and management skills. And one last one. The leadership moment. Nine true stories of triumph and disaster and their lessons. For us all. And this is just a sampling of hundreds and hundreds of books that are available on leadership. And it seems as if there are new ones coming out almost every week. And my point for sharing this is that even the world, they they recognize the need and importance for strong leadership. And what's interesting is even the books that have done well from a world standpoint and become uh, popular, and I, I believe I've mentioned this before, they usually reflect proverbial wisdom that's found in the Scriptures. That's, th- those are the ones that uh, experience the, the most success. And ironically, this has opened the door uh, and, and paved the way for what's called um, integrationism. Okay? And because of pop psychology and the connection with the secular books, and then this connection to the, the proverbial wisdom, this has allowed uh, this mingling to be brought into the church. And so not only have integrationists, and by integrationists I mean those who integrate Christian principles with, with pop psychology, not only have they entered into the counseling realm, but they've also entered into the, the, the leadership realm by undermining the sufficiency of Scripture, by insisting that more than the Bible is needed to estru- establish strong leadership. Okay, There's got to be something more. And this is instigated even further when the leaders in the church, uh, they fail to look to Scripture to find qualified leadership, and they opt to follow and comply with what the world has to say. And so the sermon title is The Priority of Church Leadership. And we know it's a priority to God because it's the very first subject that the Holy Spirit leads the Apostle Paul to address in this epistle. And it should also be a priority for all believers because we all want the church to be led God's way. Amen? We all want the church to be led God's way. And according to the book of Titus, it starts with qualified church leadership. And the sermon proposition is in your notes. And here Paul shares that God's people, instructed by God's word, they appoint and assess God's leaders so that the church will be led God's way. I know that's got a whole lot of God in it, as it should, and it's a lengthy statement. But God's people, instructed by God's word, appoint and assess God's leaders so that the church will be led God's way. And you'll notice also in your outline that there's only two points to the sermon. And I wanted to share right off the bat that they don't go in order, okay? Certainly the logical progression would be to assess or identify leaders before you appoint them. I think we we all get that, but I've kept them in this order because that's the order of our passage. And we know that Paul instructed Titus prior to him going out to appoint elders because Titus 1.5 tells us that. It says, as I directed you, Titus had this information in advance, but it's coming to him by way of reminder. It's coming to him in written form. And it's not just for Titus, but it's for the church, and it's still relevant to us today in the church age. And so as I alluded to before, remember that this is a very unique time in the first century church age. They didn't have a compilation of the Scriptures. That was going to happen a couple centuries later. And so... They, they, the early church was established through the apostolic authority and those who were sent, the sent ones, by the Lord Jesus Christ to um, share how the churches were to, to be set up. Well, let's tackle the text starting with verses 4 and 5 which again say this, and I'll read them again. To Titus, my true child and a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Verse 5, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. God's people, instructed by God's Word to appoint and assess God's leaders so that... The church will be led God's way. And the first way that this happen, it happens is seen in the first point. God's leaders appoint God's leaders. Okay, And after Paul's identified himself as the ministry message, messenger, we've, we've seen the ministry motive. Um, Paul introduces us to the recipient of his letter, Titus, my true son in our common faith. And Going back a, a few Sundays ago when we were doing the background, I briefly mentioned this but it bears repeating that the reason that he called him his true my true son is the same thing he says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 1 because these men were converted under Paul's ministry and this this letter again wasn't just to Titus but it was to the entire church on the island of Crete and consequently it's for us today and Pauls revealing that Titus not only was one of his uh, converts, but they share something. There's this bond that they have. And it's shared right here in verse 4. It's their common faith. And as one of his converts, it was common for the apostles to be viewed as spiritual fathers to younger believers in the early church. And we see this with the Apostle Paul and especially with the Apostle John, those of you who enjoy Um, reading the epistles written by the Apostle John 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, you see him use that expression um, regularly, my my little children, making a reference. This wasn't to undermine them in any way. It was to uh, allow them to see and recognize how they were viewed as the Apostles as spiritual fathers so much so in 1 Corinthians 4:15 when Paul's writing to the Corinthian believers he even says this in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel as one who was instrumental in their conversion Paul could regard himself as their spiritual father so also was this true of his disciple and friend Titus And though very little is known about Titus, and we discovered this even when we tried to find background on him, and and normally you can go to uh, the book of Acts, but he's not even mentioned in the book of Acts. So it's hard to find background on this guy. But we do have this significant statement that they shared a a common or a shared faith. It's the Greek word koine. okay, And you've heard of koine Greek, which is what? Common Greek was the, the regular Greek that they spoke. And so, this is significant because Titus was a Greek Gentile. And this gets affirmed for us in Galatians chapter 2, verse 13. And we know that Paul was what? A Hebrew of Hebrews. And all of a sudden, he's talking about this shared faith. And this is that great mystery that is revealed in Ephesians chapter. Three, as the walls were torn down, as as the the mystery was revealed through the gospel that the Lord Jesus Christ was bringing Jew and Gentile together. And so, in terms of background, race, culture, religious tradition, Paul and Titus couldn't be any more different. They are polar opposites, right? But then through the Gospel, through the grace of a a shared faith, they were brought together because they had come to believe in the same great Savior and to participate equally in the same great salvation. And this situation is gloriously the same Today, people are often discriminated against uh, on account of their race or perhaps uh, where they live, their level of income. Maybe it's a criminal record or some other thing that promotes prejudice amongst people. People are sometimes even denied basic human rights. But no one, no one is ever treated that way when they come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And Perhaps some of you have uh, taken notice. If you're a sports fan, then it's dominated the news, just even about the racial remarks of Clippers owner uh, Mr. Sterling, right? And um, uh, just just awful, awful remarks. But um, one thing that it's reminded me of is his tremendous need. That brother needs it. He's not a brother, but that man needs a. Go- he needs the gospel. He needs the gospel. In every single way. And I don't want to make light of his comments, but I would have to say the level of racial hatred between Jew and Gentile in the first century church would certainly make this situation look like a cupcake fight. It would. It, it, it would share a lot of perspective. And so what God has done through the Gospel gives us great hope for those who, who sin by being racist, those who are prejudiced against people in this world. And praise God for our common faith, a faith that declares that no matter what our connection is to our pagan religious background, no matter how much we make, no matter what the color of our skin might be, whatever our sins have been in the past, whatever our crimes against humanity might have been, We all are given the same great welcome when we come to faith in Christ. We are given equal share in the blessings of His grace. We're united to every other believer in the bonds of a common faith. And Paul knew this, and Titus knew this as well. And now they were together ministering in a common faith. It's absolutely beautiful. Well, we'll see the connection to appointing Leaders, as we continue, but certainly a vital foundation would be to share a common faith, right? That's, that's absolutely critical. Let's finish with verse 4. It was common in New Testament times in personal correspondence to bring your greetings to a close with a benediction. An expression of encouragement. And Paul's benediction is distinctively Christian. He says, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. And as a Christian... Titus already knew about the saving grace of God. He'd been introduced to the saving grace of God. But Paul also shepherded him and discipled him to allow him to know that grace is certainly needed beyond salvation, right? Grace is needed beyond the outset of just the Christian life. We need it all of our days, In all parts, salvation is a fruit of God's unmerited favor, yet we also need grace for His strength and for His help. Grace to forgive. Grace to serve. Grace to endure suffering. Grace to endure affliction. Grace to persevere. And Paul, when he's writing this letter to Titus, who has this daunting task of going out and establishing these leaders in the church was letting him know that he was going to need God's grace in order to do that. Thus, he says, grace in this greeting. Paul intentionally greets Titus with God's grace in mind and on a side note i'm resisting a temptation i'll have you know right now i'm resisting a temptation within because i would love just to park it right on grace for just this sunday right just just to camp out on grace let's talk about god's grace right as my old pastor friend said there's only one way to describe god's grace that's amazing thus thus amazing grace but um, we're, I'm actually resisting that temptation because in, in, in a few weeks we'll have an opportunity to get there. We're going to get to Titus chapter 2, right? We're going to get to verses 11 through 14. And we're going to spend some time there, I'm telling you right now, talking about God's grace. We're going to talk about a grace that saves in verse 11. We're going to talk about a grace that sanctifies in verse 12 of chapter 2. We're going to talk about a grace that glorifies in verses 13 and 14, and so that's just a little, um, a little heads up on what's going to be coming our way. I already have that sermon outlined, and, and uh, I'm, I'm fired up to preach it. Well, in verse 4, Paul also mentions peace for Titus, and like every other believer, we can only imagine that Titus was experiencing some level of anxiety um, and uncertainty uh, as he was um, dealing with uh, you know, these newly established churches on the island of Crete who were standing against um, decades and centuries of Greek mythology and false teaching. And so Paul knew that the Lord did not want him to be anxious about anything. And Paul wanted to to encourage him. And I'm sure in some small way, Paul reminded him not to be anxious about a- anything. Right? That same... Uh, reminder that we get in Philippians four, uh, verses six and seven, right, and hence this benediction: peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Savior. Well, our first point is God's leaders appoint God's leaders, and so far you're like, "Hey, I, I don't see the the connection here outside of uh, of a common faith," and that's all about to change as. We tackle verse 5. In verse 5, Paul says to Titus, For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains and appoint elders in every city as I directed you. For this reason, and we see this expression used in Scripture, and it's not pointing back this time. Sometimes it's pointing backwards. And so if you're someone who likes to write in your Bible like I do, if right above for this reason or your translation might say for this cause, or if you have the ESV, it says is why, you can draw a little arrow pointing to the right. The purpose for having left Titus in Crete is explained through the next clause. That you, Titus, would set in order what remains. And the main verb set in order is A hapax legomena. It's the only time that it is used in the entire New Testament right here. And the word carries with it this idea of supplying something that is lacking. And it's connected by the conjunction and. Before we get to the phrase, appoint elders in every city. And so if you're reading this, you might think as he says... um, to, to set in an order and to appoint elders that he 's being asked to do more than one thre- more than one thing, but in the Greek um, this this conjunction is what 's called an epiexegetical conjunction and it, it, it's epi- epiexegetical usage is an additional usage, and so the verse can actually be rendered this way: to set in order what remains or to set in order what is lacking, namely, that you appoint elders in every city. And this makes the most sense, as there's no other purpose or description that's given here. It was about appointing elders. Titus was to appoint elders. And up to this point, you'll notice that I've made reference to uh, church leaders only, and, and I've done that intentionally, because there are three different... Words in the Greek that are used to uh, describe the office that's being described here in Titus chapter 1 and also in 1 Timothy chapter 3. You have um, episkopos, right? Which is where we get the word for, uh, or is the root for the Episcopal church. Episkopos actually means overseer in the Greek. And then there's another term called uh, presbyteros, which is translated elders and those are the two uh, predominant terms that are used to describe the office there's actually a third one and it's this it's poimain. and poimain is translated shepherd okay and 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 ephesians four eleven, i believe that's it that's where it, it, some as pastors uh, some as evangelists okay that's where poimain is is used and so i'm sharing this with you because Um, This is the office that is being talked about. And Paul is encouraging Titus to address this office specifically. And so we're not talking about um, uh, any other thing than that. And we're, we're talking about a certain office of leadership. And I wanted to let you know that those terms can be used interchangeably. Okay? throughout the entire New Testament. And that's very important. Let me tell you why. Because there have people, people have drawn distinctions between them, and as a result, it leads to a very um, skewed church ecclesiology. Okay? And then you have people who are designated with both. There's two offices. There's elders and deacons, and we're going to get to deacons at a later point and cover that ministry specifically but I want to talk today, we're talking about um, elders, okay? And so, yeah, there's, um, uh, it, it, it's important, and something uh, very important to note in the Greek as well with presbyteros, which is our team, oh, I didn't mention this, um, that whenever you see um, episkopos for overseer, that's actually a reference to the duty of the office that's that's what elders do they provide oversight and when the the reason that they use uh, presbyteros is elders and that's um, a term that's been brought in even from jewish um, uh, synagogue officials um, elders it, it it is a term of honor it is a term of dignity that is associated with the office and so that's why both get used But there's something important that we need to see. Presbyteros is in the plural. Titus was to appoint, establish a plurality of elders in each church. And how is plurality defined? It is the state of being plural, okay? It is not singular. It is a biblical practice for a New Testament church to have more than one elder. And there are those rare exceptions with church plants where one elder might lead for a season, but the path of wisdom encourages that other godly and growing men who aspire to the office will be pursued as soon as they are available. And Proverbs 11.14 says this, Without guidance, people fall. That's everybody. Everybody. In this room and on this planet, without guidance, people fall, and that's elders too. Then it goes on to say, "There is victory, there is safety in a multitude of counselors, and that's why it's so important to have a plurality of elders." We we don't um, we 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 don't naturally see our blind spots right we need other people to help us see where we can't or they're aware of other things that are going on in the church and so there's victory that comes not uh, you know to 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 be one elder um man to to to, it's, it's impossible i i cannot see behind me right now somebody could have plotted an attack this morning on me i would not know that it's coming but if, if if I have another brother, if I have a couple other brothers and I do, they're you know where they are they're they're sitting right here amongst me. And there's multiple eyes that if a gunman were to come right out of the back trap door by the drum kit over here there is one. There's a door right back there and somebody were to come, everyone would say, "Pastor John, get down," right? Or you would all run for cover and protect yourself first and then You know, you would would help me out. So this verb translated appoint can also be rendered put in charge or designate. The word doesn't tell us how they were appointed, but simply that they were to be appointed. And point number one is this. God's leaders appoint God's leaders. And I want you to turn with me to Acts chapter 14, because I want us to see this together. Acts chapter 14. If you'll turn there with me, actually, well, I, I want to start and let's start in, in thirteen because I want to um, just give the, the the context of what's taking place here. Paul and Barnabas are traveling all over and they're preaching the gospel and they're reaching out to Jews and to Gentiles, right? And these brothers are rocking it; they are throwing down on ministry and making disciples. It's unbelievable. And this is what it says. In in verse 42 of chapter 13, as Paul and Barnabas were going out, the people kept begging him, begging that these things might be spoken to them the next Sabbath. Now when the meeting of the synagogue had broken up, many of the Jews and of the God-fearing proselytes followed Paul and Barnabas who were speaking to them and they were urging them to continue in the grace of God. Beautiful. And the next Sabbath nearly the whole city assembled to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began contradicting the things spoken by Paul and were blaspheming. And it's so ironic that the Jews are blaspheming. And what are they accusing Paul of doing? Blaspheming, right? And they're the ones that are blaspheming. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and said, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken to you first since you repudiate it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. What a humbling statement. And now he says, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, I have placed you as a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the end of the earth. Verse 48, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. Again, we see that reference to election right here in in verse 48. And it goes on, And the word of the Lord was being spread through the whole region, the whole region, but the Jews incited the devout women of prominence and leading men of the city and instigated a persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of the district. But they shook off the dust of their feet and protested against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were continually being filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. And I don't know when the last time you read through the book of Acts, but in my study this week as I was reading it, it lit a gospel fire under my seat. And I, I, I sense another day of spontaneous evangelism coming up this next Saturday, it's just it's it's so encouraging to see how they just kept going, and just kept going. Uh, this provides the context for what's going to take place, and I wish we had time just to even keep going and reading with chapter fourteen. But let's skip down to verse nineteen of chapter fourteen because this is the point why we're going there. I just wanted to provide a little context. But the Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having won over the crowds. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing him to be dead. But while the disciples stood around him, he got up and entered the city. And the next day, he went away with Barnabas to Derbe. And after they had preached the gospel to that city, is that just not, is that me or is that unbelievable? Left for dead, down and out. You want to talk about God restoring a brother. And the Apostle Paul left for dead. He was beaten severely. And the next day, the next day, he's up and he's in Derby to preach the gospel. And after they had preached the gospel to the city, we're in verse 21, and had made disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. And this is what Titus is all about, Right? There's been evangelism that's taken place on the island of Crete. And Paul has been traveling with Barnabas and he traveled with others and he was preaching the Gospel. And then he was facing persecution and he was being driven out. But then what's he do? He didn't just preach the Gospel. He didn't just leave. He he was driven away, but then he comes back after the dust settles, right? When it's safe for him to go back. And what does he do? He's all about their purpose growth. He's all about their sanctification. He wants to see them mature in Christ. And he goes on and he says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Verse 23, And when they had appointed elders, presbyteros, plural, for them in every church, having prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord in whom in whom they had believed. And then it says this in verse 24, they passed through Pisidia and Pamphylia. And when they had spoken the word in Perga, they went to Italia. And from there they sailed to Antioch, from, from which they had commended to the grace of God for the work that they had accomplished. And this is, this is so encouraging. When they arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how He had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they spent a long time with the disciples. This was their ministry. I love that. In, in the Greek it says, um, and they spent a long time. It it's actually literally says, not a little. It's <laughs> so pretty cool. We hung out for not a little time. We were, This with the fellowship hour. We'll be back after, after the service, right? Not, not, not a little time. We're going to hang out for a long time. And, and, and we love it. And so, God's leaders appoint God's leaders. And the beauty of this is 2,000 years later, we can look at Pastor Marcus Denny who is over preaching the gospel in the Czech Republic. And what is he doing? He's preaching the gospel and he's making disciples. And he's investing in men who have responded by faith. And he's all about their intentional and purpose growth. they're, they're, They're being grown. To the place that they're going to come. And they're going to aspire. Some are going to aspire to the office of overseer. And they have. And we've met them. Daniel and Alesh will be established as elders. And Paul, 2,000 years earlier, did this by example. And Titus is to do the same thing on the island of Crete. Share the Gospel. Disciple them. Grow them. And the men that aspire to the office of overseer, appoint them as elders. And verse 5 finishes this way. For this reason, or purpose, I left you in Crete, that you would set in order what remains or supply what is lacking, namely, appoint elders, and here is the end of the verse, in every city. It's literally city by city. God's people, instructed by God's word, appoint and assess God's leaders so that the church will be led God's way. And this happens when God's leaders appoint God's leaders. But how do they do that? Whom do they appoint? What or who determines whether or not someone is qualified to be appointed as an elder pastor overseer? Is it based on their giftedness? Is it based on their character? Is it based on a combination of the two? Is it reserved for men only? This leads us to our second point of the sermon, which is this. God's Word assesses God's leaders. And here in Titus 1, verses 6 through 9, the Holy Spirit led Paul to record the qualifications for church leaders. And by leaders I mean those those three terms that are used interchangeably, elders, overseers, and pastors, which is a reference to the same office. And it's here where we'll spend the bulk of our time gaining an in-depth study of what these qualifications look like as we exposit them, as we as we dig them out and make sure that we have a firm grasp on them. And we're going to do that next Sunday and beyond. But before we jump into the pool of those verses, is this list given in Titus 1, 6 through 6-9 an exhaustive list for selecting elders? Are there any differences between what is listed for elder qualifications in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1? Answer the emphasis of the two lists of elder qualifications given in Titus 1 and chapter 3, even when combined, is not all-inclusive of essential Christian values. It's not. For example, neither list says anything about a man's faith in Jesus Christ and his commitment to the Gospel. Directly. Neither list directly addresses a man's love for Christ and God's people. And certainly a congregation once elder, pastor, overseer who loves the people? Does a man's life reflect the fruit of the Spirit? And does he draw people towards reconciliation when challenges arrive? Does his life uh, exemplify service to others? All of these, we would agree, are important when it comes to serving the office as an elder, pastor, overseer, right? And so here's what I'm getting at. Are the elder overseer qualifications in 1st Timothy and Titus 1 helpful and valuable? Certainly. Are these profiles all inclusive considering all relevant information for the office of elder? The answer is no. It is possible to be so concerned with doing Bible things in Bible ways that we can forget the scriptural purposes that are behind them okay it happens and a man who is not deeply spiritual will not fulfill God's objectives even if he meets the list on a list the profile list found in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1 the church must see the full scope of what God's word says about the biblical purpose of leadership, which certainly goes beyond these character profiles. And you guys know this. You guys know this. And it's no secret that this church has had to transition in leadership even over the last 18 months. And as I was going back and I was looking to see if there was any purpose instruction, 1 Timothy 3 or Titus 1, I was just probing to see when the last time that it had been taught and um, there's a message that was preached on September 12th, or September 9th of 2012 and Pastor Lance Quinn came to the church. How many uh, were here for that sermon? Do you, and remember, can I see your hands? I just, just, just to get an idea. Yeah, uh, uh, the, a large majority of you were here for that message. And who can tell me what passage that he preached on that Sunday? Anyone remember what passage he preached on that Sunday? That's a trick question, by the way, because he actually covered seven passages. He covered seven. It was a topical message that he, he taught on eldering. And it was seven passages that he wanted to bring to bear. Why? Because this church was in a place where you were going to nominate, you were going to identify men that could potentially serve as elders. And he, 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 he didn't just camp out, did he, in 1 Timothy 3, or Titus 1. He eventually got to those, um, those uh, chapters when he was talking about character. But he also went ahead and he mentioned seven c words before he went to seven passages and it was such a good message because he he brought to bear the 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 weight of god's word the full perspective of what the new testament said in 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 canonical order as it related to the elders and and some of you may not weren't here for the message and those who were here, I just want to just refresh you with the C words because it was really well done. Acts 20, 17 through 32, he said, reflects the commitment of an elder. Galatians chapters 1 and 2, he said, reflects the crucifixion and an elder's commitment to gospel faithfulness. Colossians chapter 1, he said, reflects the completion as elders. The word is completion as elders seek to present every person complete in Christ. In 1 Thessalonians 2 8 and following, he used the word caring, and he used the illustration of a nursing mother to take care of. An elder was to be like a nursing mother, taking care of the people. And he has eight kids in the LB names. That was crazy, too. So um, things I got to learn about Lance Quinn. And then he gets to 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1, and he says that this reflects character, and he covered a quick overview. It was a very quick overview of the elder qualifications. And then he got to 2 Timothy 2.22, and he used the word cleansing because he said that an elder needs to be cleansed of being argumentative and, and promoting conflict in the church. He has to be one who promotes cleansing for people, and then in 1 Peter five, one through five, he said that this reflects clothing, and what he meant by that is that um, that elders would be um, clothed with an unfading crown of glory if they they if they shepherd and they elder faithfully, right? If they honor the Lord Jesus Christ and magnify. Um, The great shepherd, with their under-shepherding, they will be clothed with an um, unfading crown of glory. So what is my purpose for, for mentioning this? It's twofold. First, if you have not heard that message, I want to encourage you to go back to September 9th of 2012. If you want to write the date down, go back and listen to that message. And secondly... It's this, it's our second point of the, the message um, reflects assessing God's Word is used to assess God's leaders. And, and Lance Quinn's message, I believe, reflects the importance of using all of Scripture to define the big picture and purpose for church leaders. Okay, So that was just an aside, and, and I wanted to share that with you because I was so grateful um, it, it encouraged my heart just as as you as a church meditated and reflected on those things as you considered the men whom I, I'm now partnered with in, men, in ministry men who I, I love and um, I'm so thankful and the Lord knows my heart and I praise God for them every week um, being able to, to serve alongside them it's, it's, it's a great joy for me well let's get back to our text and um, I see that the clock is now officially against us and we're going to conclude our time by setting the stage for our study for the next couple Sundays. Okay, let's, let's, let's set the table and then um, next week we'll come back together and we'll sit down and eat. Okay, and this is how we're going to set it up. God's Word assesses God's leaders. It does this by featuring the importance of looking intently at the character qualifications of the men who aspire to the office. And so it begs the question, how is God's Word used to assess or evaluate God's leaders? Our remaining four verses provide four specific ways. And I'm going to have these printed in the bulletin for you next week, so no need to write them down. We're just setting the table, right? We're not eating yet. But I'll, I'll, I'll give these to you, and you'll have them printed for you. And this is, this is it. Um, first, God's Word assesses a leader's relationship to his own family verse 6, if any man is above reproach, which is the overarching qualification, the husband of one wife having children who believe not accused of dissipation or rebellion. Cliff notes, got to have a godly marriage and got to have a God-fearing family. That's, that's the cliff notes. And we're, we're going to dig all those out when, when we get a chance. Number two, God's word assesses a leader's relationship to his own character. Verse 7, For the overseer must be above reproach as God's steward. Again, that overarching qualification mentioned again. Not self-willed, not quick-tempered, not addicted to wine, not pugnacious, not fond of sordid gain. Cliff Notes. There is no place for the it's my way or the highway elder in the church. There's, there's no place for a man who would have that mentality. An elder leads others to be selfless, not to be selfish. Okay. Number three, God's word assesses a leader's relationship to others. Okay, His word assesses a leader's relationship to others. Verse 8, When an elder is to be hospitable, loving what is good, sensible, just, devout, self-controlled. Cliff notes, an elder is regularly and habitually looking out for the needs of others, and he's zealous for good deeds. And we'll look at that uh, when we zoom in on that verse as well. And finally, number four, God's Word assesses a leader's relationship to God's Word. Okay. God's Word assesses our uh, leader's re- relationship to God's Word. Verse 9, Holding fast the faithful Word, which is in accordance with the teaching, so that he will be able to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Cliff notes, an elder is to commit, he's committed to God's Word to both edify and to admonish. And all of these Character qualifications should encourage us to praise God. Praise God that He can save sinful men. Praise God that He can grow us. Praise God that He can bring us to a place that we can be qualified to to meet these qualifications and to serve in this capacity. So next week, we're going to have an opportunity to start unpacking each of these character qualities one at a time. And I hope your hearts encourage this day. Well, our worship team is going to come up and lead us in a response song. And I'm going to close us in prayer. And then just a quick reminder that we would uh, vacate uh, the room as soon as we possibly can and get to our fellowship hall so that Praise Chapel can come in and start their service. Please pray with me. gracious Father we rejoice in you we rejoice in having the tremendous privilege this day to come back together as a corporate church family and to celebrate your faithfulness, your steadfast faithfulness in every way we're so encouraged we're so blessed we've seen your faithfulness and It's been the testimony and the heartbeat of this church to look back and just see, even with the transition of leadership, how you have faithfully shown up. How you provide in our time of need. And what's so overwhelming, Father, is that you will always be there to supply what we need. And if there's anyone in the room today that is doubting that, I pray, Father, that you would encourage their heart in great measure that in times where money seems tight or relationships seem strained or challenges are mounting at work, that you will show up in a big way. You're faithful to do that. And we praise you, Father. I pray that you'll continue to allow our study through Titus to draw us together, to cherish being at a church that is trying to honor You and Your Word and doing it in a way that You're magnified, just as You have prescribed it. Help me, I pray, Father, to dig deep. Help me to serve Your people well. Help me to be an instrument in Your hands. I'm not a gifted preacher. I'm a young preacher, Father. I need Your help. I need the prayers of our people. I pray that You'll burden their hearts to pray for me each and every week. And I pray, Father, that you'll also allow our hearts, allow our hearts, I pray, Heavenly Father, to again just be encouraged by how you're going to shape us and mold us through this story, through this study in Titus. We give you all the praise and all the glory. It's in your Son's precious name that we pray. Amen.